I'm going to give you a short message. By short, by my standards, might seem pretty long still, but short-er message. But I'll take a little bit of time to, before we baptize to reflect on this amazing last week. And then we're going to have baptisms at the end. I want, to make a, I want to point out now the reason we have this tub up here full of nice warm water is because we're going to baptize down here today. One of the catalytic reasons we decided to baptize down here instead of up there in the loft is because we want Pam is getting baptized, and I just didn't. I'm so honored and thrilled that Pam's getting baptized, but we just didn't want to ask her to negotiate those stairs up. That's a steep staircase, and in the baptistry, and we knew that this would be an easier lift and, and, and a do. I'm so proud of Pam to not let obstacles that make it hard stop her from getting baptized. She's like, I'm getting baptized. And, and so we, uh, her faith and her determination and our ability to change the, the, uh, the location of baptism made that possible today, and that's awesome. I'll be honest with you, though, I kind of like it. Now, I think this, this tank's a little too small, but it was what we could do in short notice. But I like the idea of it down here. I'd like to find another, another solution because one thing, I know that everyone loves their traditions and all that stuff, but I always feel like, you know, baptism seems so removed when they're up in the sacred space way up there. Get your binoculars out to watch the baptisms, you know. And I want people to be able to get around someone they're getting baptized and be able to like be there and high five them or hug and get wet. And I think that would be a celebration with people and it's hard to do up, up there in that space. So we might just have to find a solution to where we can always kind of bring it down. In fact, we were going to do it outside the effort church today. And the weather forecast was a little shaky. And so we decided, you know what, to be safe, let's put it inside because we had to fill it early and heat it. So we didn't want to wait until today to do that. So it's going to be in here instead of outside. But I like it down here, so that might be something to think about going forward. But anyhow, we're excited about that. And um, that will be at the end of the service with Pam and, and Robert and Laura and several guests that have come with you today to be a part of that. That's awesome. And I'm looking forward to shaking some hands and getting to meet some people today. Um, let me just take a minute to celebrate last week. And I know this is, a, this is unusual. We don't usually do this during this part of the service. But this is the Sunday after Easter, otherwise known in uh, church world as Hangover Sunday, um, which simply means that I drank a lot of Coke Zero this week, lots of it. Um, and so anyhow, but uh, seriously, um, I want to take a few minutes today to celebrate um, just last week. And let me talk about it for a minute, okay? So bear with me. Wow, it has been a crazy year in the world and in our country. And last year at this time, like it, COVID was a thing happening, no matter what you're, how you sort all that out. The bottom line is, is that everything kind of got, it was early stages, everything got locked down, like locked down everywhere. And even in Indiana, where we've probably enjoyed a little bit more liberties than some states have you know, tried to negotiate, we still had several weeks where we were all just at home doing church online for, I think, six weeks. And it went right through Easter and Good Friday last year. And so last year, we tried to do our very first Good Friday service ever, but we had to do it online. And that, we'd never done one before. It was our first time, and it was all digital. And we liked it, but we thought, well, let's try it in person sometime, you know. And then, of course, Easter online, it was weird. And then, of course, you know, as things opened back up, you know, there's still all the concern about what this would look like and, you know, who, who might get sick and, you know, health, and, of course, the mandates from the county and people masking up and people staying home. So we, we started our services back up, and I think some people came. Others have watched online. Some still watch online. Um, some, some of you watching online today live far away, and this is your way to stay attached with and part of our church family from wherever, whatever state you're in. Others are local but feel safer there. 
And um, many of us, that early on, it was just getting us back in. And so I think every church, I mean, there's some, I think there was a few churches that just, they just plowed forward with just an amazing year. But for many of us, it was kind of a really adjustment period to kind of get our, our feet back under us. And I think it was also a chance for some people who maybe um, were looking for an off-ramp to kind of say, well, you know, I'm not coming, and kind of get away from being so faithful to church. And I think churches across America experienced some of that, that phenomena through this last year. And so as we've watched the year roll in and as the new year has started and um, here we are, we thought, you know, we just need to have a celebrate together Sunday, like celebrate Easter together. But we didn't know what that would look like. So we, we added more seats a couple weeks ago. We, started, we had all the seats spread apart, three or four chairs with six feet apart, and it was a lot less seating in here. But it was easier for it to feel full in the room when you're spread apart that thin. The room was just as empty, but the seats were fewer and the seats were more full. And so a couple of weeks ago before Easter, we kind of put more in here. And I remember thinking that Sunday, oh, do we make a mistake because, you know, we wanted to make room for Easter, but is it going to look empty? And we just didn't know what coming together would look like as we made a, our first attempt at a big push. And Good Friday, first of all, our first Good Friday service in this room was amazing. What an amazing time. I just can't get over what a special service that was. And I'm thankful for everyone who came out to help us read and sing and just remember the crucifixion together. It was sweet. And then Easter Sunday. Oh, wow. I mean, I remember, you know, our first service usually has a couple, like 20 people in there. Because our first service is usually just like the ones who work kids ministry second service and um, the nursery workers who can't get service unless they come to an early one. We kind of started it for them and a few others who like to get here early and go home early come. So it's a really small crowd. And I'm thinking, hopefully our 1045 crowd's big because that's when the Easter kids have their program and they're going to sing, and that's the main one. But I walked into the first hour, and I counted 58 people in the room. Uh, and that was, and I know, Greg, you keep a different count because you count um, not the repeat people who come both services. I just was kind of getting an idea of who was in the room. We had 58 people in the room in the first service. And I'm like, that is awesome because first service, no offense to anyone who comes to first service, kind of a dead service. I mean, like, I tell jokes in that service, and there's no laughter. They, there's smiles. But we're like, I got my coffee, and, you know, like that right here, that's a beautiful sound to hear. Um, it's more like I get a smile. If I get a smile in the first service, that's like belly laughter in the second service, okay? And so it's just, and so we had 58 people, and that was, it was great. It was more energetic. But I was like, oh, man, you know, this, this is, um, is this going to take away from second service? I was really kind of nervous. So second service rolls around, and I'm sitting up here singing. And I'm not even looking around me as people coming in because we, we all know. It's American. We don't come in early. So everyone's pouring in after it starts. And I turn around, and I, I kind of greet everybody, and I realize that we have extra chairs set up in the back because they're running out of seats everywhere. And um, then I'm in the back after the third song real quick, and the kids have been dismissed to the program, and we're setting up more chairs. Tim's helping me set up more chairs over here because we have people coming in with no seats. And I thought, what in the world? We, so we had not announced a, a goal. We don't make number goals very often. But I had told our, our, some of our inner team, my, my, my team, that I wanted to hopefully see us to have 140 on Easter. For us, that would have been amazing um, after all that we've had the last year. That would have been like Christmas Eve two years ago. It would have been a good, a good number for us. And um, we had that many in the second service. Between what was in the room and what was in the kids' program and the nursery, we had 140 second service. And the first service was way beyond that. So it was amazing. And God was so good. It was, it was amazing. So thank you for all the work. And then we shared the gospel, and we had a number of people uh, uh, profess faith in Christ, um, for the, and, and, and several others who 
made a reaffirmation or reassurance of their faith. So if you count reaffirmations of faith in Christ, we had like 15 people respond to the gospel, including, <laughs> including seven people who for the very first time heard the gospel and for the first time made a commitment of faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior last week for the first time. Isn't that great? It's an amazing Sunday. Praise the Lord. So it was just an amazing day all around, and I want to thank you for being a part. Now, here's what I want to say. We tried to incentivize Easter a little bit with some, by, having, by saying we're going to do some prizes. Now, I don't, we don't do that often. In fact, we have not done that in years. But I knew we were trying to come back together, and it's been a crazy year, so I wanted to incentivize it. Now, you and I all know that the, the real blessing is, is a spiritual blessing. The real blessing is an eternal blessing. We know that. We know that when you come and, and you honor God, he, he, he uh, honors those who honor him. He honors those who have faith. And so coming is, is a, a spiritual blessing for you, and it's an eternal blessing. And, and bringing someone to church with you on Easter is, is, is an eternal reward. It's a, it's a spiritual blessing, and that's because, um, you know, we want it to be something where we remind you that God will honor that forever. And that's what really matters. People coming to faith in Christ, that's what really matters. And people hearing the gospel, people coming to church to hear. Some of us, we don't know how to share our faith in Christ from scratch. And so you try to feel comfortable. But sometimes getting them to church opens a door of conversation to, to have further conversations. So, you know, we wanted to say that while God will reward that eternally and spiritually, why not once in a while say, let's honor that temporally and earthly. You know, so let's also celebrate now. And so we told you that if, if you brought a visitor, we were going to thank you with a Dunkin' Donuts gift card if we knew that you had a visitor here. And um, that if the people brought the most visitors, we'd get a special prize uh, above that. Uh, we had two first and second place prizes. Again, just earthly prizes to temporarily say thank you for what you're doing. And um, many of you had folks who came and visited with you. We have no way of knowing who came with who unless they filled out a connection card and wrote your name on it because there were so many people here to meet. Like, we spent Sunday afternoon amongst us saying, did you know so-and-so? Who was that? I don't know who they know, know who that was. So I'm sorting through the stack of cards afterwards, figuring out who's who, and the only way I can assign credit is if they wrote on their card somewhere who they came with. So based upon that, we sent visitors' cards out to, to a lot of people this week, and they should be getting it in the mail to already or Monday or Tuesday of this week, if, if the mail's slow, which it probably is. Um, and so... And then we also um, sent a few gift cards out to people who brought guests in the mail. So those should be there or coming as well, if we knew. But um, I want to do a couple things in the service here, besides what I mailed, just to point out a couple people in person for the work they did. And some people who came weren't first-time guests. They come here, some watch online every week, but they came in person for the first time. Others, uh, you um, were here. Uh, you brought someone who comes twice a year, maybe. So they're not, you know, special occasions, and that's still awesome. So they're not first-time visitors. And one of those cases I want to point out, um, I want to point out Cheyenne, because Cheyenne had, I know that you didn't think this was the deal, but several people who came on Easter have come at Christmas and other services as well, and they, they just pop up, and, and I, when I wrote down how, what brought you, they, I saw several times where Cheyenne's name was on those cards turned in. I'm like, you know what, I know that they're not first-time people, but boy, I just wanted to say, I appreciate you always inviting extra people to come along and be a part of the day. So I wanted to give you a special thank you. And I'm going to ask, um, I'm going to keep doing, I hate to leave the camera all the time. I'm going to ask you, Brooke, can you help me out real quick up here, please? Um, I'm going to do this a couple, a couple times. Um, also, and again, it's about, it's, it's, not, it's not about this. This is just us saying thank you. We know that. 
But um, also, and to put them on the spot here, awkwardly perhaps, Debbie and Jens came first hour last week and brought Emily and Dan, and that was awesome. They were here visiting for the first time, and I want to say thank you to them for that. And so we have a Dunkin' Donuts gift card for them. If you could run that back over to them and say thank you for bringing and coming back today. That's cool. And uh, Emily, if you didn't get one in the mail, you got one coming in the mail too. You don't have to share it with Dan if you don't want to. It's okay. But uh, it's coming. And then we had two prizes um, that we wanted to uh, give out to people who brought the most guests. And several people brought three or four people with them. And again, I'm going by the connection cards we had. But um, we had two prizes given to us in the community. Vito's, Italian Ice, which we love. Vito's um, is owned by, um, by Dave and Amy Larson and members of our church. And they, uh, they knew that we wanted, I was going to go buy a gift card to give to somebody who brought guests. And Vito's said, no, we're going to donate that card. So we have a $40 gift card, which is a lot of Italian ice, by the way, <laughs> from, as a donation. So by, they gave it to us. So you all on the way out sometime this week, go buy some ice over there and, and, and give them a thumbs up. And anyhow, Dolores DeWitt had five guests with her registered on Sunday as visiting today. We're going to give her the Vito's card and say thank you for that. And Brett, that's all I have for now. Thank you, Brett. Um, and then this, she's not in the room right now because she's helping elsewhere, but we had we have a, a, another prize, a $100 gift certificate to Frank's Barbecue. Now, I called Frank's to order, the, and they know me there. Don't, I mean, it's bad when the local food places know you well. By, oh, hey, Arlen, it's you again, you know. So anyhow, I called Frank's, and I'm like, hey, I wanted to get a $100 gift card. I told them what it was for. And when I went down to pick it up, they're like, hey, just, it's $100, just pay us $50. We're going to donate the other $50 as a gift from Frank's to you. So that's pretty cool. So y'all go to Frank's later on this week and buy them some food and tell them, hey, thanks a lot as well, please. But anyhow, um, Frank's $100 gift certificate goes to Tiffany Curtis, who's working with our kids right now. She had seven first-time guests in the community came and visited on Sunday with her. It was wonderful. We're, we're going to give this to her later. I just wanted to bring it up to you while we were together today. Again, let me tell you, some of you are like, man, I worked so hard to bring someone to church Easter Sunday and no one came. I'm going to tell you how that, I know how that feels. I've been in ministry a long time. In fact, on Easter Sunday, I had three visitors here in the first hour, a newlywed couple and a teenage girl that came with them, that, um, his family, that uh, I had invited to come. And I was glad that they were there. But I also had several other people lined up to come for the first time, and those other ones didn't show up. And so if that's you, I want to say this to you, that's... We can't control, you can't control what anyone does. If you don't believe me, get married, ask your spouse, right? Um, <laughs> you can't control what anyone does. Um, and, or have kids, you know, that, that'll do it for you too. Um, but, but here's the thing. I believe what we can do is we can do what we can do. And, and that's what God holds us accountable for is to do our part. We're like the watchman on the tower in Ezekiel. Our job is to warn. We can't control how people respond, but we have to do our part. And so what we want to do is encourage you, you invite folks, you do your part, and eternal rewards, spiritual rewards are the same whether someone responds to your invitation or not. Now we're going to, obviously, when we give a prize that, we're, we're honoring the achievement, but God honors the effort. And that's why I always tell everybody, listen, when it comes to, to doing anything good in life for yourself, set goals of effort and not goals of achievement. You can't control what you achieve, but you can control the effort you put in. So set goals of effort, not goals of achievement. And we saw a lot of good effort, and we honor some achievement, but God honors every person who, who worked hard to invite and share the gospel with somebody else. Bring them to church. Y'all did your part. Thank you, and I appreciate that. So that's unusual for us to do in church today, but this is an unusual Sunday. We're going to have a hot tub in the middle of the floor getting people wet soon. 
So here we are. Now, I want to take a few minutes to say, why do we do all this stuff? Why do we do all that we do? It's because this is what we're called to do. We, as he, we serve others and, and, and introduce them to Jesus. See, what we can do is we can be, as our church always says, we are for Cedar Lake. We are for our community. We are for people because God is for them. And when we serve others and we serve them with love and we serve them with sacrifice, when we get involved in our schools, we get involved in our area, when we get involved and feed into our food pantry, when we, get, when we do things that we do, when we serve our community, it opens up a door through our service to say to them, we serve because, because we love you, but we serve because God loves you more than we love you, and he serves you better than we can serve you. And let me take this chance to point you to God, to Jesus who died for your sins. And so serving others is a way to introduce people to Jesus. And he's the one that can change lives. I want to tell you a short Bible story before we baptize. By short, I mean we'll be out of here by 3 o'clock today. I'm totally joking. I'm at 2.30. Um, give me the next half hour here. Let me show you a Bible story with you real quick here. Um, it's found in Luke chapter 5, if you want to turn there or follow along on the screen. Um, and this story is told in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Most of the stories about Jesus are told in several different parts of the, of the gospel accounts. And I like all of them, but Luke does a really good job of telling the story today. So we'll turn there. I might refer back to some of the other ones because Mark gave some extra details that Luke doesn't give us. But we're going to look at Luke's version, and I'll tell you some of the details that are missing that Mark mentions elsewhere. But the story begins in Luke 5 and verse 17. Luke 5, 17. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. Now, I'm going to pause and say this. That first statement, one day while Jesus was teaching, Luke kind of leads with that line. But I think Mark makes a better punch because Mark brings it up later in the story. And the reason why I like it in Mark is because if you're not careful when you read Luke's account, you'll miss the point that what Luke is saying is that everything that's going to happen in the next many verses all happened as a disruption while Jesus was teaching. Right in the middle of what he's doing, something takes place. So don't miss that because everything, it's not like he was teaching and then this other event happened. This whole thing happens right he, he's in the middle of this important job, this important part of sharing the gospel. One day while he's teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. Now these are religious people, and, and this is so important to understand. We always, I say this way too often perhaps, but the, the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, this, this was the God crowd of the day. These were the people who felt like they were the ones in touch with God. They were the right ones. They were the righteous ones in their minds. They were better than the rest of culture. They felt like they were... They had, a, they had a corner on the truth and a corner on God, and other people were removed. And they actually had a distance between them and regular people. People who needed hope in Jesus Christ had a hard time getting through the religious rigmarole of the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law who made it difficult, who, who looked down on others for their sins while somehow ignoring their own, kind of like people do today sometimes when we think other people's sins are worse than our sins, right? Like my sins are not so bad because I can explain them. But your sins, those are bad because I don't like those ones. And so, you know, here's these religious people and they felt better than others and they felt righteous, but they were hypocrites. But they had the, they had the God label. So people who, who didn't 
fit into that box, looked at them and thought, well, I must not be a God person because the God people in me just, I don't like them. And they just let that gulf sit between the, the people who needed hope in God and themselves as they claimed the title. On top of that, they, 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 had, they, they, would, they were just alienated from people both for their behavior and their beliefs. People who behaved differently and sinned differently, and those who believed, even people who politically differed from them. They had people who embraced Rome's presence and worked in the tax system, and they hated those people for being tax gatherers or sinners. And instead of saying, these people are like us, we all need God, they said, if you behave differently than me, or you believe, or you know, if, you, you, if you sin differently, or you politic differently than me, then I'm going to put a wall between me and you, because we're the right ones and you're the wrong ones. And isn't that a shame? Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Religious people get in our own little bubbles and think that somehow we have a corner on the truth and our sins are better than other people's sins. And, and we come in behind our sacred little walls sometimes and say, well, you know, culture out there and people as if somehow there's some divide, as if somehow we're not all sinners in the need of the grace of God. And, and then we, and we get into our little silos politically and, and socially. And, and, and what a shame. And that's what the crowd was doing in those days. And then Jesus shows up and he does, not, he does not fit into the religious box. He begins to go and eat meals with these sinners and tax gatherers and he begins to help and serve them and, and he, didn't, he didn't applaud the system and, and boost the system. And so the people who were in the middle of claiming to be the God crowd felt threatened by his presence, by the things he did. It offended their everything. It threatened their power, their privilege, their their way of their traditions, and, and, and they didn't like him because that's what people do. We draw, we draw wagons around however we, you know, think and feel and worship and say this is right and anyone who doesn't fit in it is wrong. And when Jesus comes along and claims to be from God and doesn't fit the box, they say he's wrong and we're right, so they just got really hostile. And the weird part was that the people who were far from God, they loved Jesus. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus and Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. And the religious crowd couldn't figure it out because, and they felt threatened. And so they were hostile to Jesus. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, they led to his crucifixion. And so whenever he was traveling around and doing his work, they would show up sometimes to find fault. Good, religious people are good at doing that. We, we, why make a difference when you can find fault? And so they showed up and they would have their arms crossed and he would do horrible things. You wouldn't believe the horrible things Jesus would do. He would actually heal sick people on the Sabbath day. <gasps> like, what are you doing? We don't do that on the Sabbath day. That's sacred. Jesus is like, no. And, and so they just found fault. So they showed up. The Bible says, and in, in, in Luke says, that it seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. They would show up whenever Jesus was talking to cross their arms and scowl. So there's two crowds that Jesus is talking to. One crowd are people who perhaps Jesus has healed them. Perhaps they loved him. Perhaps he's fed them. And they're sitting on the edge of their seats or they're standing up because there's no seats to sit in. Or they're sitting on the floor. And they're listening with rapt attention saying, tell us more, Jesus. And then there's the other crowd that's sitting there with their arms crossed saying, I don't know. Let's find what I don't agree with here. You have both crowds in the room. Okay? And it says, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. That's a powerful statement. I want you to not miss that. Because Jesus was God, but he laid aside his, his divine rights. He, it, was, it was not robbery for him to be equal with God, but he laid that aside and became flesh. And he took on the form of a servant and he humbled himself. 
And he became obedient to death, the death of the cross. And so as Jesus came to the cross, as he just came to earth to walk in our shoes, he didn't come as God with that power. He came, this is powerful, he came as one of us and worked in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and God's power was with him, and he was healing. And in verse number 18, it says, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. Interesting. They came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus. Now, I'm going to pause here. Picture this guy. He's paralyzed. He can't get anywhere. He couldn't come see Jesus. He's paralyzed. But maybe he wanted to be healed and he wanted to see Jesus. And so these men put him on a mat and they each, four men, elsewhere the other stories tell us, take each corner of that mat and they carry him from this house. That's a lot of carrying. All the way to where Jesus is at to bring him to Jesus. And they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but it says they could not reach him because of the crowd. Imagine being the four guys carrying this guy. Your arms are sore. Perhaps you periodically say, let's change sides, you know. My left arm's sore. Let's change sides for a minute, you know. And you're, you're carrying this man all the way to Jesus. And this paralyzed man is, is on a journey of a lifetime because he doesn't go very many places. And they get there, and they can't even get to Jesus because the crowd is in the way. People are packing out the space. And so, hmm, what are we going to do? And no one's moving. No one's moving. I mean, some are sitting there saying, you kidding me? You should have got here earlier, man. These are my seats. I stood up early to get this seat, and I need to hear this message. Just you wait. And someone else is over there saying, we're, excuse me, we're here to find fault. You can stay out of here. You know, what's the, this is about getting the doctrine right, you know. And so um, these guys are just like, we just want to get this guy to Jesus. And, and the crowd won't let them. It's too, it's too full. There's, there's no room. What are you going to do? You could turn around and say, well, hey, sorry, we tried. Well, let's head home. But they didn't. It says here, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof. <laughs> oh, boy. They went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Now, I know, I know some people, some of you are the people, you, this is what you would do. Like, you'd be like, well, we can get up there on that there roof, and uh, um, I got a plan. <laughs> so they figured out how to get on the roof, and I don't know who owned the house, but this must have been a real delight. They found a way to kind of break the adhesive around the tiles and pull the tiles off. And hopefully they came back and fixed it later. There's no record of this. I hope they did. But they take the tiles off so they can lower him. And it says they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. So these are some ingenuous people. These are some determined people. i got to get this guy to Jesus. I like it. I like their moxie. I'm not sure the homeowner did at the time. And can you imagine being in the crowd? You're trying to listen to Jesus, and all of a sudden you hear noise on the roof. Footsteps? Is that footsteps? No, oh, it can't be. Nah. And next, next thing you, see, you hear, you hear crush, crashing, tiles are being pulled off, lights coming through the ceiling. It's kind of like when our steeple's shaking in the wind up there in church on Sunday and you can't hear anything. Anyhow, um, we got to fix that. But anyhow, um, or we're going to have a hole someday too, right? But anyhow, they open a hole and um, can you imagine, like, I see a face up there. What's going on? And then there's four faces, and then there's a bigger hole. And then they're lowering this guy down through the hole and putting him in front of Jesus. I can't imagine what a 
like a disruption this was. And what's Jesus, and by the way, let me say this here. About three weeks ago, we made a statement in preparing for Easter that I want to revisit here. We asked a question a few weeks ago, are we in the way or are we making a way for people to get to Jesus? And I think sometimes we, we're in the way. I think religious people sometimes, we, we think we're doing God's service, and we name his name, but we're in the way. We're in the way by, by our actions, by our stubborn defense of our traditions that are more important to us than the gospel, by, by our, sometimes our politics and our online presence. We're just we, people who need to get to God see those of us who name God, and we're so abrasive and we're so about other things that stand in the way that they can't, they don't, they don't want to try to get to Jesus through us. Well, that's a shame. Are we in the way of people who need the hope of the gospel, but they can't get through us? Or are we the ones making a way? That's these, that's these four guys. These four guys are like, you know what? That crowd won't move. By the way, you know what we do sometimes, don't you? When the crowd won't move, what we do sometimes is um, we get upset and we quit. Pam's getting ready for baptism here, so thank you, Pam. I'm so glad and Lord, for helping her. Um, here's what we do. We say, well, you know, I tried to do something for the Lord, but there are a bunch of people in the way. That's what we say. That's what we, it's easy to do. It's easy to say, you know, people hurt my feelings. People offended me. People were difficult. And sometimes those of us who are serving the Lord, who name the Lord, just say, I'm done. Because other times we're the ones in the way. And if we're not in the way, when others are in the way, we just say, I'm done. I got, I, I'm, I'm done trying. I got hurt. And here's what I want to say. I don't want to be in the way, but I also don't want to be saying, oh, well, it's too hard. Are we making a way? Are we the ones saying, I'll climb the roof, I'll open the ceiling tiles, I'll, do the, I'll go beyond the obstacles to get someone to Jesus? Are we in the way or making a way? That's the question we asked three weeks ago. I'm asking again today. Because here's why. Picture Jesus at the front. He wasn't surprised. But here's what Jesus has on his shoulders. He's got several things going on. The, the, the hole in the ceiling, there's a guy lower down in front of him on a mat who's paralyzed. Jesus now has a crowd of people who loved him and wanted to hear what he was saying. Another crowd of people with their arms crossed to find fault. He has another guy who's paralyzed on a mat who needs to be healed. And he has four yet who's on the top of the roof saying, yeah, we did it. And what's Jesus going to do? He's got to address all these crowds. And so the Bible says next, I love this next word. It says, seeing their faith. Whose faith? Those four men. While Jesus is, is disrupted by the men who are people who are there to hear him, those who are there to find fault, and the man who came to be healed, he did not overlook the four guys on the roof. The first thing Jesus noticed, and Mark points it out, Luke points it out, Matthew points it out, the first thing Jesus notices is those four men and seeing their faith. Let me say this to you. When you serve the Lord, even when it's hard, even when people get in the way, when there's obstacles, when you do the best you can do, and you don't, again, you don't know if anyone sees, God sees. God sees your faith. He sees the faith that drives you to be faithful when the going is tough. He sees your faith to trust him when the times are hard. He sees your faith to, to serve him when you feel alone. Seeing their faith. See, that paralyzed man couldn't have gotten himself to Jesus that day. We talk about saving faith. In this particular case, the faith that gets overlooked is those four people had faith. Your faith, your faith can make the difference in someone else's life. That's good. Now, 
seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. It's a young man. I don't know if he's paralyzed his whole life or if he, an accident happened at work. Are these his work buddies or his family? Are these people who desperately took care of him and really needed for their sake for him to be healed? Because they were the ones that carrying him around everywhere? I don't know. But he's lowered into Jesus' presence. And Jesus looks at him and says, young man, your sins are forgiven. Time out. Whoa, Jesus, you missed the point. We didn't break the ceiling tiles open and lower this guy down from the roof so he could forgive his sins. We did it because he needed to be healed. What do you mean his sins are forgiven? I mean, you talk about missing the point. Are you, are you, are you in like God mode right now and you're like thinking of spiritual? Like we need some practical help here. What do you mean your sins are forgiven? And if that stands out as funny to you, Jesus' crowd didn't miss it either. Verse 21 says, The Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? <laughs> I love that. Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. You know what? They're right. Only God can forgive sins. If Jesus isn't God, that was blasphemy. That's why they said, who does he think he is? Well, here's the thing. He thought he was God. He knew he was God. That's why. <laughs> that's, the, that's the buried lead here. That's the most important thing we're missing here. By the way, that, that's why there's no room for Christianity to just be another good religion amongst many religions that all are the same. We can't look at Christianity as being another, Jesus was another great teacher and another nice guy with some good ideas amongst many others in the world, and they're all the same, and Jesus is good. There's no room for that in Christianity because Jesus didn't claim to be another good teacher or a wise prophet. He said, I am God. I am the Messiah. I came in the flesh to be the Savior. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to rise again. And then he pulled it off. And if he wasn't who he said he was, then he was deceived. He was either crazy or a liar. He was definitely not good. And Jesus wasn't playing a game of saying, I'm another good guy. He was saying, I'm God. And they're like, well, only God can forgive sins. Jesus is like, yep. Well, that's blasphemy. Who does he think he is? I'm God. See, the question is this. Who did they think he is? Who did they think Jesus was? And here's the question for you to wrestle down to the ground. Who do you think Jesus is? That answer to that question is the basis of your faith and your eternal hope. Who do you think he is? Is he the son of God, the savior of the world? Or is he something else? Who do you think he is? Well, anyhow, Jesus knows their thoughts. The next verse says, Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? They were whispering, they were thinking it to themselves, whispering to their friends, can you believe this guy? He says, why do you question this in your hearts? And then he asks the question that you don't, don't rush past this next question. He says, is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or stand up and walk? which is easier to say. Now, don't miss it because this is good. Because <laughs> the answer is that it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one can see it. No one can challenge it. Like, your sins are forgiven. I could go right now and say, um, you know, Terry, your sins are forgiven. Well, you can't say that. How do you know? You know, I mean, it's not like you can measure it. 
Isn't that what people do sometimes? We, we all do this. We all, like, hide behind God sometimes. No one can question that. Like, when you're young and you're making, or old, making bad choices, you're like, only God can judge me. And, you know, so in other words, back off. And you're like, oh, you're right. But then we forget that God actually can judge us, right? And so, um, or we, I love this one. People are always running around saying, God told me this. God told me that. God said to do this. Well, if God said it, I can't question that. I mean, the conversation's over because God told you. So who can, who can know what God told you? So it becomes like a line I can throw over to just say, you can't know that I'm wrong. You can't know that I'm making this up. You can't know that I'm just going off a whim. I'll say God said it. And we're like, okay, cool. What can I, how can I argue with that? So for, to say something spiritual that no one can prove, like to say your sins are forgiven, those are just words. It's easier to say that because no one can see it. But it's much harder to do. You can't really forgive someone's sins, right? It's much harder to do it. Easier to say, harder to do. But to say, but to say to a paralyzed man, stand up and walk? Oh, whoa. Well, that's another story. That's putting it all on the line because in about three seconds later, you're exposed. So what's easier to say? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say stand up and walk because one of them is going to call me out. What's harder to do? <laughs> Forgive your sins. Only God can do that. So doing this stand up and walk part, that would be miraculous. That would be a validation of Jesus' authority. So Jesus goes on to say in verse 24, So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, <laughs> and immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Hallelujah. Here's the thing. A lot of thoughts right now. First of all, isn't that a really a crazy miracle? If you've ever had a broken leg or been laid up for some time, and you just like, all of a sudden they fixed it through surgery or something, you didn't just jump up the next day and run around on that leg. You needed physical therapy. You needed some, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're like, your muscles are weak. Jesus didn't just heal this man. He actually gave him the strength in his body to actually get up and jump up and have arms, he was paralyzed, to pick up his mat and to go home. Praise, by the way, the crowds seem to make room for them on the way out, apparently. They're like, oh, please, go ahead there. Oh, now we have space. Thank you. We appreciate that. You know? And he go, he's praising God. He's like, praise, thank you, Jesus, thank you. And he's on the way home. Oh, thank you, God, thank you, God, all the way home. By the way, because that's what we all ought to do. When God has made a difference in our lives, when God's touched us, we ought to be able to not just come on Sunday morning and sing praises to God. We ought to go praise him on the way home. We ought to praise him on the way to work Monday and on the way home that evening because God is good all the time. And this man just went home praising God because he knew what was done for him was bigger than a moment. It was the rest of his life that was changed. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. I imagine. And they praised God. All the crowds praising God. What did they say? Check it out. They said, we have seen amazing things today. That's an understatement. Like, you can say that going through Walmart sometimes, looking at people. I've seen amazing things today. You know? What in the world? I mean, what they meant to say is, we... <laughs> We've seen things today that you don't see. 
ever. We've seen amazing things today. And they did. They most certainly did. Despite some. Despite some who were in the way. Because of others who made a way. And all thanks to Jesus. And I want to leave you with one statement today. To take home with you and we'll be done. And I want you, if, when you read this story in the future... When you remember this story in the Bible, I want you to remember a thought. As these people said, we've seen amazing things today, right? That's how the story ends. I want you to, to, to see that statement, and I want to ask you to remember this one statement when you hear the story. When we get people to Jesus, we will see him do amazing things. That's how it works right there. When we get people to Jesus, we will see him do amazing things. Isn't that good? Because here's the thing. The people who got him to Jesus, they couldn't do the amazing things. The people who got him to Jesus couldn't forgive his sins, right? The people who got him to Jesus, they couldn't heal his paralyzed body. The people who did the, the climbing on the roof, they could climb the roof. They could break open the tiles. They could lower the body down. But they could not heal him and they could not forgive his sins. All they could do is get him to Jesus, despite the people in the way, despite the people that, who were offensive to them because they were making it difficult, despite the hard work. All they could do is roll their sleeves and say, God, I'll do all I can do. That's what we do sometimes, right? That was, by the way, Easter Sunday was just passed. Last week on Easter Sunday, I can't tell you, I did something in that auditorium the day before Easter that I do often in my pastorate. I was in the room alone praying like I do regularly. But I was praying a prayer, and Easter was here. And I said, God, I've done all I can do for tomorrow. We've done all we can do for tomorrow. Everything from here is up to you. Because sometimes that's all you can do. You, you do your part and say, God, it's all in your hands. And I think that's a way to live. Do all we can do and then put in God's hands what only God can do. And God does something. And so here's the thing. These guys did all they could do, even tearing open a roof. But they couldn't heal him, and they couldn't save him, and they couldn't forgive his sins, but they could get him to Jesus. And when we get people to Jesus, we will see him do amazing things. Your job and my job is to get them to him and let him do what only he can do. And I hope that if you've never encountered Jesus for yourself, you'll let him do something amazing in your life today. And if you have come to Jesus before and watched him work in your life, you will roll up your sleeves and serve this world we live in and do everything you can to get people to the one who can do amazing things.